Well, good morning, Warehouse Church. It is so good to be with you. It's so good to have all of our online worshipers with us as well. If you're a guest with us this morning, my name is Rick, and I have the joy and honor of being the pastor here. And uh, man, we had just such an amazing weekend. I just want to give some uh, some celebration to you, something to celebrate. Uh, on Friday night, we joined our community for Faith Fun and Food Trucks, and uh, so a lot of you were there. And I just want to give props to... Um, Paige and to Lindsay and to James. So we give them a big hand. They did a lot of work to make that happen. And uh, Lindsay and James sang and played and Paige did the booth for us. And so it was awesome. And so if you came, thanks for being there with us as we loved on our community. And I thought it was just a great event just to let the community know that uh, number one, that Christians can have fun, right? The church can have fun. And, uh, and we had fun, and that we're not bad people, and that we love everyone. So uh, it was cool to be out there and to do that. And so I just wanted to say thank you for that. I'm also super excited today. We're having our first partnership class. We got like 10 people signed up for that. So we're going to have a great afternoon uh, for those folks that are interested in becoming a partner here at the church. If you're not a partner at Ware, uh, Warehouse Church, we'd encourage you to think about it. And uh, you can sign up for the next class, which will be happening in a couple months. And uh, so, so all that, why don't we do this before we go any further, why don't you just look to the person next to you and say, I am so glad that you are here today. Just look at the people around you. Let's let them know you're so glad to see them. If you're online, let us know in the chat section and say, hey, uh, we're so glad that you're with us as well. So we don't want you to think that we don't. And uh, so I want to welcome you back to the Easter challenge. So today is our last message on the Easter challenge. And I was thinking about it this week. It's hard to believe, or it's hard for me to imagine that five weeks have already gone by since Easter Sunday. Like it's already been five weeks since we were saying he is risen, he is risen indeed. It's already been five weeks since we got all our Easter clothes on, came here and got dressed up and had a great celebration. It's already been five weeks. And we began this adventure together five weeks ago with this idea that Easter changed everything, right? That when Jesus stepped up out of the grave, that it changed everything. It changed history. It changed my life. It changed your life. Easter changed everything. And so we've spent the past five weeks chasing a deeper understanding of what it means to live God's calling in our lives. And I don't know if you realize this or not, I don't know if you've thought about this or not, but God has a calling on each and every one of our lives, that God has a purpose and a plan for every single one of you here. And we've discovered in our time together, we've discovered our need for community, right? We've discovered how we need one another, that we're better together. We talked about how we need to regularly be in the word of God, that as we walk with Jesus, the only way that we can walk with Jesus is by being in his word. And we talked about the importance of being in his word. Last Sunday, we said that we, have, we all have the same mission, that all of us have the same mission, that we all have different callings, but there's one calling that we all have on our lives, and that's to share the good news with every man, every woman, and every child, that God has placed that calling on each and every one of our lives to not keep the good news to ourselves, but to actually be witnesses for God, to tell other people about the good things that God is doing in our lives. So we all have that calling on our lives. And, and if you remember last week, we said, you know what? I know that we're not all like rock star evangelists. And some of us don't know what to do or what to say. But we said, here's a great starting point last week. And I told you to remember six easy words. They're on the screen. Let's say them together. I see you and you matter. I see you and you matter. That if we will begin here, 
That if we will open our eyes to the blinders that, uh, that, that we get so tunnel, we get tunnel vision, and we're only looking at what's going on in our lives, but if we will open our eyes and see the people around us and see the hurts and see the needs, and if we will look at people and say, hey, I see you. I see you hurt. I see your hurt. I see your pain. But I want you to know that you matter. That that's a great launching pad for us to share the good news and be witnesses. We talked about last week, too, two short prayers. That if we will get in the habit of every day praying this prayer over somebody, that it will not only impact your life, but it will impact the lives of the people around us. And the one, that first prayer was this, that when we see someone in need, we see someone in pain or in, in, in hurting, we say, God, what do they need? Like, we just pray that. God, what do they need? I see them in pain. I see them hurting. I see them down. I see them, I see them uh, sad. God, what do they need? And then we pause and we listen and we take note and we wait for God to answer us. And then God might say, well, they just need to know that they matter. And so then you pray the second prayer, which is, God, what do you want me to do? Not only, God, what do they need, but God, what do you want me to do? And he might just say, I just want you to smile, Adam. Or you might, he just might say, I just want you to go up to them and say, hey, I'm so glad you're a part of my job. Or, hey, I'm so glad that you're one of my students. Or, hey, I'm so glad that you're in my life. And so we get in the habit or the routine of praying those two prayers. I see you and you matter. And then praying, God, what do they need? And God, what do you want me to do? And then today, we're wrapping it all up with a message that I'm calling Big Changes. Everybody say big. Big. Now say it like you're big. Big. Big changes. And I wonder if you've ever wondered. It, all right, it didn't work that well. That's okay. I wonder if you've ever wondered, can people really change? I mean, have you ever found yourself asking that question about maybe a coworker? Maybe it's one of your sons or your daughters. Maybe it's a, uh, an aunt or an uncle. Maybe it's someone that you work with. But I wonder if you've ever asked yourself, I wonder if people can really change. I mean, are they just, are we hardwired by our genetics to act or think a certain way and that's just the way it is? Or is it possible for real change to happen in people's lives? Now, personally, I believe, because of my experiences, that people really can change. And let me show you what I mean in a little bit of a fun way. Did you know that before this guy, Gene Simmons, before he was the lead singer for the makeup-wearing 70s band called Kiss, that he was actually a sixth-grade teacher in Harlem? Can you imagine him teaching you science? I mean, I wonder, did he wear makeup when he went to class? I don't know. So you can decide if the change was for the better or for the worse, but that seems like a pretty significant change to go from a sixth grade teacher in Harlem to a rock star. Or, or how about this one? Before he played a Vegas thief, before he was fishing in the middle of the river or traveled backwards through time, Brad Pitt spent his days standing outside, y'all, on the sidewalk wearing a chicken costume for El Pollo Loco restaurant. I mean, a pretty significant change, don't you think? Or how about my favorite one? Before she was whipping up French cuisine, did you know that Julia Child was an intelligence officer for the CIA? I mean, where, how do you go from intelligence officer to cook? And so that's what she did. And I would say, uh, just from these three arguments, that people can change. 
And if there's one thing I've seen in my many years of following Jesus, it's that he can change you and me too, right? God can change us too. And as you move forward in your adventures with Jesus, who knows where he might lead you and who knows how you might change. So I did student ministry for a long time, like 15 years of my ministry career. I was working with students, and I loved working with students because you got to see God change the hearts of students over the years. And so I have students that were with me way back in the beginning that are now like grown and have kids the same age as my kids, and and it's been so fun to watch them and see how God has changed them over the years. And, and, And I think about my own life. And I think about how God took this angry 18-year-old kid and changed him into a young man that discovered that his purpose in life was to invest in others uh, in the name of Jesus and to preach the word of God. And what changes, I wonder, is he making in you? Like, what's God doing in your life? How's he shaping and transforming your life? You see, as we consider the change that he might want to make in us, on our journey with him today. I want us to take a look at one of the most recognizable people who encountered Jesus and how his journey, his walk with Jesus changed not only his life, but changed everything. So this morning, I wanna look at one of my, my favorite disciples. It's the one that gets a bad rap for everything. It's the one that people are like, oh, yeah, he's always running his mouth. He's always putting his foot in his mouth. He's always stepping into something. And it's my favorite disciple, Peter. And and as we do, I I think that you'll find some really cool and interesting insights. As we look at Peter, some insights for your life and your journey with Jesus. Because the nice thing about Peter is that there is no shortage of material when it comes to Peter and the idea of failing and getting back up again. Because here's what I love about about Peter, is Peter had this knack, or one of the things I think that we can learn about Peter is that when he failed, and he often failed, he often failed forward and not backwards. And I think that's just interesting. That, that, That may be one of the most important lessons that we can learn in our journey with Jesus is this idea of failing forward and not backwards. In other, in, other, in other words, learning how to fail and that failure doesn't define who we are, but we learn from our failures. And of course, Peter's most famous failure, it happened right away, uh, right before Jesus was being crucified. Uh, this is the one that everyone knows him for. It's the big one, if you will. And it's where he gets intimidated by this little schoolgirl around a campfire, and he denies that he ever met Jesus. Like this little girl goes, hey, aren't you one of those guys that followed Jesus around? Like, weren't you one of his gang? I mean, I think you were one of his crew, weren't you? And Peter's like freaking out, and his hands start ringing. He starts sweating, gets in a cold sweat. He's like, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know this Jesus guy. I've never spent any amount of time with him. And he does it not just once, not just with the schoolgirl, but he does it three times. And he fails as he denies he even knew Jesus. And I think Peter's second most well-known failure is probably the one in Matthew 16, where Jesus is talking about his upcoming crucifixion. So Jesus is sharing with the disciples. He's telling them, hey, there's coming a time. My time here on earth is coming to an end. I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to die on the cross. And, and as he's telling the story, Peter, well, he pulls Jesus aside. 
like Peter knows what's going on. He pulls Jesus aside and he says, listen, Lord, that will never happen to you. I'll never let that happen to you. It will never, you will never die on a cross. And I love how Jesus responds in Matthew 16, 22, because Jesus tells him, he doesn't say, he doesn't say, Jesus doesn't say to Peter, well, Peter, I think we're going to agree to, we're just going to have to agree to disagree. Like, that's not what Jesus says. Jesus gets up in Peter's face and he says these words. He says, get thee behind me, Satan, right? Like, you know you're in trouble when Jesus is calling you Satan. I mean, you just know that you crossed the line. And so he tells Peter, he's like, get behind me, Satan, and Peter just is that way. Like he op- always opened his mouth in the most inappropriate times. He always uh, spoke before he thought. He always was like taking action before he even thought about what the, the, uh, the consequences would be. And so Peter has so many more mistakes than just these two to learn from. He's the one who cut off the servant's ear when they arrested Jesus, right? Like they come to arrest Jesus and Peter, what does he do? Right away, he whips out his sword and he whips off a guy's ear. And Jesus is like, Peter, what are you doing? He takes the ear, picks it up off the ground, puts it back on the servant's uh, head and heals him. And, And then he tells Peter, he's like, Peter, put away your sword. Peter's also the one who, after the transfiguration, uh, when Moses and Elijah talked with Jesus on the mountain, and, 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 and here's what Peter says. He says, oh, guys, 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 he's like disciples, and he gathers them together in like a huddle. He says, let's make three shelters as memorials for Elijah and for Moses and for Jesus. Let's build three tents for them. And I love what Mark says right after that in Mark chapter 9, verse 5 and 6. It says that Peter said this because he didn't know what else to say. Like, Mark's like, there goes Peter again, like, just spouting stuff off. He doesn't know what he's doing. He's scared. And when Peter would get scared, he would often act irrationally. And so here's one, another example of that. Peter's also the one who, when Jesus began to wash the disciples' feet, you remember that moment? It was a beautiful moment, and Jesus is teaching the disciples how to serve by serving them, and he's washing their feet, and he gets to Peter, and Peter's like, no way, Jesus. He's like, your hands will never touch my feet. You're not washing my feet. You're too good for that. You can't wash my feet. And, 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 he, and he's the one that is confront. And, and Jesus is like, listen, if I don't wash your feet, then it ain't gonna happen. And he's like, then wash my whole body. And he's the one also, Peter's also the one who confronted Paul in Acts. So back in the day, Jewish Christians were still Jewish. And so they were still figuring it out. And and Jews and Gentiles still were trying to figure out how to co-mingle together in this new thing called Christianity. And and, and so Peter was like afraid of the fundamental Jewish Christians and what they would think if they started hanging out with Gentiles. And so he scolds Paul for sharing the gospel with the Gentiles. And Paul had to call him out on it. And so Peter, you see, he had one failure after another. He just let his mouth get in the way of everything. And yet, as we think about Peter, think about a few weeks ago when we read a passage in Matthew chapter 16 where Jesus says this to Peter. He says, you are Peter, and on this rock... I will build my church. The same dude that, that, that denied Jesus three times, the same one that freaked out and said, let's build tents for everybody, the same one that said, you'll never wash my feet, the same one that Jesus said, get behind me, Satan, to. We see Jesus say to him, your name is now Peter, and on your shoulders, I will build my church, and the gates of hell 
will not prevail. You know, we talk about our founding fathers in America and this country, and we give them honor, and I, I think we should. We talk about Thomas Jefferson, George Washington, and all of those guys. But I want you to know that the church, the church is way bigger than that. The church is global, right? Like, I think some Christians in America need to remember that Christianity is not an American thing, that Christianity is a global thing. It's a global movement of God, and the church will last forever. If the United States disappeared tomorrow, the church will continue, and, and the church lasts forever because, because of people like Peter, who could have been failures and in all purposes failed in a lot of different ways. But because of their faith, we still have the church today. And so Peter's a big deal. And I think it, it, I find comfort in that. I don't know about you, but I find comfort in that because it's comforting to me to, uh, that Jesus entrusted the beginning of his church to a man who made so many mistakes on his journey with Jesus. Like, I hope you find comfort in that. And knowing that Jesus chose ordinary people like you and me to do extraordinary things. You see, Peter teaches us this. Peter teaches us that as long as we keep getting up and as long as we keep walking with Jesus, failure is never final. Amen. And some of us are walking around like failures and some of us are walking around like our past has defined who we are and will never be anyone else except for what our past failures have said we are. And our failures never define us. Listen, in your adventures with Jesus, you're going to encounter disappointments. And you're, in your walk with Jesus, you're going to mess up. You're going to slip. You're going to fall. And Peter's life shows us that one of the most important things that you can do after a disappointment, after a loss, or after a failure is to start the path to re-engage God again. Like you don't lay in your failure. You get up and you keep moving forward. You see, after we fail, we must re-engage. And listen, it's okay to catch your breath. You fall. You fall flat on your face. It's okay to say, you know what? I got to get my bearings. I got to catch my breath. But then after you catch your breath, you got to keep going with Jesus. You got to keep moving forward. You always get back in the game. I remember when I was teaching Emma, my daughter, how to ride her bike. And she, the first time she fell, she's like, Dad, I can't ride a bike. I'm not going to do it. I quit. And I would say, no, baby, we got to get back on the bike. We got to try again. And she would get back on the bike, and we'd go a little bit more, and she would fall again. And, and let me tell you, my daughter is clumsy. I mean, she's clumsy, y'all. We, we should have called her Grace, but we called her Emma. But she, um, she fell again, and she's like, Dad, I can't do this. I quit. I'm not good at this. I don't want to do it anymore. And I'd have to say, no, baby, we can do this. We can do this. And we'd get back on again. And she'd go a little bit more, and daggum, if she didn't fall again. And I was like, we're going to be here all day, right? Like, I mean, she's got training wheels and she's falling on this bike. And, uh, and so we kept doing it. And then eventually she learned how to ride the bike. And she discovered the joy. And she discovered the adventure of what it means to ride a bike. But if she allowed that first failure to define who she was, she would have never experienced the joy and the adventure of riding a bike. And let me tell you, church, some of us, we're like, man, my failure, I have failed. I screwed up as a dad. I screwed up as a husband. I screwed up as a, as a person, and, and God can never use me. 
and we throw in the towel and we quit. And let me tell you, in that moment that you quit, you miss out on the joy and on the adventure and on the calling that Jesus has in your life. Jesus isn't interested in your failures. He's interested in you getting back up and learning from them and moving forward. He's not interested in your past. Jesus is interested in where you're going in your future. And so after Peter's first big failure, he was having a hard time re-engaging. I mean, Jesus had rose from the dead, but remember that failure. He's right there. Jesus is being beaten. He's getting arrested. He's being beaten. Uh, he's being uh, just chastised. He's being just a whole bunch of stuff. And here's Peter over here watching it from a distance in the shadows. And, and Jesus told him, you're going to deny me. And Peter said, no, Lord, I'll never deny you. And, Peter, and Jesus said, yes, you will. And the, crow, the rooster will crow three times when you do. And on that third time, when Peter denies that he knew Jesus, the rooster crowed. And there was Jesus looking at Peter. And can you imagine what Peter felt as he heard the rooster and as he sees Jesus piercing at him? And, and he could have given up. And, and, and so, of course, he was excited when Jesus rises from the dead. And, and, and Peter, though, he finds himself in this awkward place because here's Jesus with the disciples, right? And here's Peter in the room. And I imagine Peter's probably like hovered over in the corner, like, don't make eye contact, don't make eye contact, don't look at Jesus, Jesus, don't look at me, don't look at me, don't talk to me, like, I don't know what I'm going to say, like, I denied you three times, I was there, the rooster crowed, you looked at me, and it was probably a really awkward moment for Peter. And, and so certainly, um, and in Luke 22, it says, uh, someone said, certainly this fellow was with him, and Peter replied, man, I don't know what you're talking about, and he, and he denies him, and just as he was speaking, the rooster crows, and the Lord turns, and he looks at Peter, and Peter is just devastated, and then here he is in the room again, and Peter is looking at Jesus, and Jesus and him probably made eye contact, and Jesus may have looked at him with those eyes, those piercing eyes, and, and he's got this pretty serious failure hanging over his head. He just denied his Savior. And so we see what Peter does in John chapter 21, and I think it's exactly what I would do if I was in Peter's shoes. Because in John chapter 21, Peter says, you know what? I'm just going to go fish. Peter's like, I'm going to go out and fish. Because Peter knew fishing, right? He was a fisherman before he met Jesus. And he's so in this, such an awkward moment, and it's overwhelming. And all he can think of is, I'm just going to go fish. And maybe he was going out there to clear his head, or maybe he was just trying to avoid Jesus at all costs. Um, and I think that Peter was probably having a really intense conversation with himself. He was probably saying, man, I failed so miserably. Like, I knew I would never be good at this disciple thing. Like, I knew that, and I was fishing when Jesus found me. And I even told Jesus when he asked me to come with him, I said, go away from me. I'm a sinful man. I warned him, and yet he still called out to me. He said, I'm a rock. I'm no rock. I'm more like jello. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick to what I know. I'm going to stick to what I'm good at. I'm just going to go on my boat. I'm just going to fish. There's 10 other guys, 10 other disciples that, that can be fishers of men. I'm just going to come here and be a fisher of fish. And church, let me, let me just share with you. As you adventure with Jesus, when you fail... Or when life gets hard, you're going to be tempted to do the same thing. 
that when, when things don't go the way you want them to go, when life gets sideways, you're going to be tempted to go back the way it was before you met Jesus. You're going to be tempted to throw in the towel and just say, you know what, it was easier before I met Jesus. Fortunately, though, there's a passage in Romans, Romans chapter 11, verse 29, that stands in the gap for us when we want to throw in the towel. And I love this passage, and it's a passage that, that, is a, that, that is deep in my heart, and it says this. It says, if God's gifts and his, it says, for God's gifts and his call are irrevocable. That when God calls you to something, when God calls you to whatever it is that he wants you to do in his life, that calling's irrevocable. Peter, he just wants to go back to fishing at this moment because things got hard and messy. But the problem was that Jesus called him to something else. Jesus called him to be the leader of the church. Jesus called him to build the church upon his shoulders. And I believe that Jesus had way too much invested in Peter, way too much invested in him up to that point to just let him go back to fishing. Jesus was never gonna let Peter just go back to fishing. And in all those failures, you know what? Peter gained way too much to go back to fishing. He gained way too much experience. And I think about that in my life. I think even if I wanted to quit being a pastor, and there have been days where I've wanted to quit being a pastor, and I've, I've, I've had too many failures to stop. Like I've learned uh, and discovered way too many bad sermon jokes to quit. I've discovered way too many ways not to counsel people through their problems and their spiritual issues to quit. I've discovered way too many wrong ways to ask people to serve, to quit. I'm finding new ways to not do ministry almost every day of my life. Like I got too much in the game, too much skin in the game. Peter had too much skin in the game to quit and God won't let all those failures go to waste. Hear that. God won't let your failures go to waste. His calls and his gifts are irrevocable. God can define the context, the location, and the expression, but no matter what happens on your journey, the call hasn't changed. It's irrevocable. Think about it. Something that God calls irrevocable doesn't get taken away or doesn't get called back. The call on Peter to be the rock of the church doesn't just go away. And you are called, church. Everyone in this room is called to be a witness wherever you go. At the Faith Fund and Food Trucks night, there was a speaker there by the name of Michael. He shared his story with us. It was a great story. He talks about being addicted, and he was in addiction for uh, 10 or 20 years. I can't remember, maybe 10 years. And in his story, he says in his whole time of being addicted that everyone told him what a failure he was but no one told him about the love of Jesus. Think about that. In 10 years' time, not one person shared the gospel with this man. They constantly told him what a failure he was, but they never shared the gospel. And let me just tell you, there is a county of people, full of people, Floyd County, full of people, who people have told them time and time and time again, you're nothing but a failure. You'll never amount to anything. You're no good. You'll never get over your addiction. 
you'll never stop being a failure. And what would it be like if we lived out our calling to say, I see you and you matter. You're not a failure. Your failures don't define who you are. And there's a God of the universe that loves you and has a plan and a purpose for your life. You see, some of you might have thought when things don't work out as you'd hoped, it was all over. Some of you like, you know what? My marriage didn't work. I'm a failure. Some of you like, my job didn't go the way that I wanted it to. I'm a failure. Some of you like, uh, like you know, my, my, my plans for my future didn't go the way I wanted it to. I must be a failure. But your setback was actually just a setup into the future that God has for you, that God's just setting you up for an amazing future, and it may not be what you expected it to be. But if you'll just keep walking with Jesus, if you'll just keep walking with Jesus, he will bring you to the place of transformation. He'll bring you to the place that he wants you to be. And Peter finds that out. Because Peter finds a second chance. Peter finds a path to re-engage. And, and we're going to dig into this story just real quick today. And if you have your Bibles, John chapter 21, I just want you to open them up with me. Uh, or on your Bible app, John chapter 21. We're going to look at verses 15 uh, through 19 together. And, uh, and, and this is a beautiful story. It's one of my favorite stories. And, and it's where um, Peter and Jesus are having a conversation and Jesus asks Peter three times this question. He says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter's like, you know I love you. You know that I love you, Lord. You know that I love you. And Jesus responds, and go feed my sheep. And so let's just read it together and, and just soak in this beautiful moment between Jesus and Peter. Because Peter's failed. And like he has had the epic fail when he denies Jesus. And there is strain between the two of them. And here's what happens. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Oh, yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my lambs. And again, Jesus said this, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter answered, yes, Lord, you know. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, then take care of my sheep. And then verse 17, the third time, he said, to, he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And by this time, it says Peter was hurt because Jesus has just asked him a third time about his love and loyalty to him. Do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. He says, very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you would dress yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. And Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify him. Then he said to him again, follow me. Follow me. Jesus is looking at Peter, and he's like, Peter, you can fish. You can go fish if you want, but you can't just be a fisherman. Be the pastor. Be the shepherd. Be the rock that I have called you to be. And then here's the best part. The best part is the next time we see Peter, 
He's living out his calling. The next time we see Peter in Acts, he's in a room with the other disciples, and they got to define or decide who the next disciple is going to be to replace Judas. And he stands up and he starts leading the church. He says, Hey, we got to replace Judas. It's time. Let's figure it out, guys. I'm taking the lead. And then the very next thing we see Peter doing, and it's an amazing picture, as he stands up and he gives the most powerful sermon uh, in front of a crowd of over 3,000 people. He gives the first altar call and over 3,000 people give their lives to Jesus in that moment. And I wonder, I wonder what Peter was thinking as he stands back and he watches the other disciples to begin to care and minister for the people that came forward. Do you think, do you think that his thoughts went back on the beginning where Jesus and him were on the beach and Jesus said, hey, Peter, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men? Or do you think that his mind flashed back to Caesarea Caesarea Philippi when Jesus told him, hey, Peter, On this rock, on your shoulders, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. See, in that moment, Peter realizes that his failures did not define who he was, but he failed forward and became who God had created him to always be. And one of my favorite things about our journey with Jesus is that only he can make you who you aren't. That only Jesus can transform us. Only Jesus can change us. 18 years old, angry at the world, no purpose, no hope, and Jesus came in and he changed me and transformed me from the inside out. And I love that Jesus had a better picture of who I was to become than I could ever dream of. And Jesus has a greater picture for who you can become and who you are becoming than you could ever imagine. Peter just saw himself as a fisherman, but Jesus saw him as a rock for his church. Peter saw himself as a failure, but Jesus saw him as a leader. And despite all of his failures, Peter came, became exactly what God had in mind for him to become. And on your journey with Jesus, if you will just keep walking with him, you will become all that God has in mind for you to become too. But you got to keep walking with him. Remember this, church, and you might want to write this down. Failure is an event. It's not an identity. Failure is just a thing that happens in our lives, but it does not identify who we are. Your failures don't define you. It's what you do with them that makes a difference. So as the worship team comes up, I want to share a story with you, a story of transformation that happened in the life of a man named Chuck Colson. You may have heard of him before. Um, During the Watergate scandal, Chuck Colson was President Nixon's hatchet man. And in 1974, he pled guilty to obstruction of justice, and he went to prison and in his book that he wrote called Born Again, Colson wrote these words. He said, I found myself increasingly uh, drawn to the idea that God has put me in prison for a purpose and that I should do something for those that I had left behind. And when he got out of prison, you know what Chuck Colson did? He launched a ministry, and that ministry is known as Prison 
Fellowship, and which is now one of the nation's largest nonprofit organizations serving prisons all across the country. And from prisoner to prison fellowship, Colson experienced the transformation of Jesus. He went from failure to hero and leader. He went from no calling to a single-minded, focused calling to reach the prisoners all across America. And because of that, lives, many, many lives have been changed in the prison system. I call that failing forward. And I don't know exactly where you are on your journey. I don't. And I don't know where Jesus wants to take you, but I do know this. I know that I know that I know that if you will walk with him every day, that he will take you places that you could have never imagined. That he will call you to things that you never dreamed of. So I want to end this Easter challenge series with these little sentence. And it's simple. You want to know the calling that God has on your life? It's simply this. Walk with Jesus every day. Walk with Jesus every day. Let's not just make Jesus a part of our lives, but let's make Jesus the center of our lives. And every day, follow him anywhere and everywhere he leads you and me to go. I call it living the Jesus-centered life. And if you and I will make a commitment to living our lives in such a way that we put Jesus first, above our wants, above our desires, above our needs, above everything else, that if we will put Jesus first and live out of that relationship, that we will experience things that will blow your mind. You'll just be like, at the things that Jesus wants to do in your life. But you gotta live the Jesus-centered life. That's God's calling on every one of our lives. So maybe you're here today and you're like, you know what? I've allowed my past failures to define who I am. Today's the day to stop that. Today's the day to say, get behind me, Satan, because those aren't Jesus' words. That's Satan whispering in your ear and saying that your failures define who you are. You need to just drop your failures off at the door and start living your life for Jesus. It's time to get up. It's time to walk with him and leave him be. Because Jesus will never, ever hold you to your failures because he sees where you want to be and he wants to lead you there. So if that's you today, maybe this morning you just need to start there. God, I'm leaving my failures at the door. I'm getting rid of them. I'm burning them. I'm done with them. My failures no longer define who I am. Have they helped me become who I am? Absolutely. Have I learned from them? Yes, I have. But they are not who I am. I am who I am in Christ. Or maybe you're here today and you know, you're like, you know what? I've never given my life to Jesus. I've never surrendered my life to him. And that's your choice. You see, we have a God that loves us so much that he says, you get to choose 
whether to follow me or not. But he says to every single one of us, come follow me. And we have to decide. And if you've never decided, if you've never made the decision to follow Jesus, I pray that today would be the day. The Bible says that all we have to do is confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that he died on the cross and rose from the grave. That if we will do that, the Bible says that we will be saved and we will have eternal life with Jesus. The decision's yours though. Just like you choose whether your failures are gonna define you or not, you choose whether you, can follow, whether you wanna follow Jesus or not. But the only thing I can tell you is the best decision I ever made hands down in my life was to say yes to Jesus because he changed me from the inside out. Would you pray with me? Father, we, we thank you for guys like Peter who remind us that you take ordinary people like us to do extraordinary things. God, I believe with all of my heart that you have a calling on every person in this room. Lord, you have a plan and a purpose for every person in this room. There's something that you want every person in this room to do. And God, if we will just follow you, if we will live our lives with you every day, that that calling will become clearer and clearer. And Lord, just like when Emma learned to ride her bike and she experienced the joy and the adventure of riding a bike, we, when we live for you and follow you, we experience the joy and the adventure of following after you. So God, if there's someone in this room today who's never given their life to you, they've never surrendered their life to you, God, I pray that today would be that day that they would say yes to you. That they would simply say, God, I choose you. I choose you. I want you to be my Lord and Savior. Forgive me of my sins. Forgive me of my mess. Forgive me of my failures. And transform me into the person you want me to be. I surrender my life to you. And Lord, there's some Christians in this room today that they're missing out on your calling in their lives because they're allowing their failures to define who they are. And Lord, my prayer for them is that today would be the day that they would say, you know what? My failures no longer define me, but Jesus defines who I am. offer those failures up to you and they pick themselves up and they run towards you today. Lord, then there's some of us here today that, Lord, we just need to be better encouragers. Father, we, we've, our failures, we haven't lived our mission. We haven't looked to people and say, I see you and you matter. We haven't shared the good news that Jesus loves them, no matter who they are, where they've been or what they've done. Lord, I pray that you would challenge those of us that do that to live as witnesses for you. Stop being scared. Stop being timid. Start seeing people for who they are and loving them because they matter to you. God, what do they need? God, what do you want me to do? We love you, Lord. Thanks for loving us in the many ways that you do. Amen. As our worship team leads us in our closing song, I just want to invite you. You're welcome to come up to this area. We call it our altar area. 
Uh, it's a home. It's your home. It's our home. So you're welcome. Make yourself at home here. If you want to come and spend time in prayer, maybe it's time to let some of those failures go. Maybe it's time to surrender your life to Jesus. Whatever it is, you come and you spend time at the altar. If you'd like someone to pray with you, just tap me up right here. I'd be happy to pray with you. But let's stand together right now and let's worship our Lord with hearts of thanksgiving that he has a plan and a purpose for our lives.